We celebrate moms, our actual moms, and we celebrate those uh, women in our lives who have acted as moms, who have shown the love and concern and care and hospitality that moms are known for. So uh, we honor and celebrate you today, but I also realize that days like today um, can be hard. That isn't always just all joy. Um, on days like Mother's Day, there's a lot of emotion that can be tied to this. So um, if you are here, if you are um, one of those in, in that camp where Mother's Day is kind of messy for you, um, and that can be for any number of reasons, for the women who want to be a mom but haven't yet or found out they can't be, um, for those who have lost uh, a child, for um, or if you have lost your mom or you have a, a broken relationship with your mom, I realize today can be hard, and that's why it's a good thing that you're here this morning because it's a good day to be in church because the church is built together so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We do this as a community. We come in with a lot of different emotional baggage, coming from a lot of different places when it comes to our relationship with our mothers. Um, And we can do that together and we can honor um, the moms and we can comfort one another and we can care for one another together uh, in this place. So I'm so glad that you would choose to worship with us uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, We love giving Bibles away, so um, please go ahead and keep that. And you're looking for page 810 uh, in the Seatback Bibles, 810 um, for uh, Matthew chapter 6. And so this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series uh, looking at... The spiritual disciplines. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, looking at uh, these practices, these things um, that Scripture calls us to to help us in our pursuit with God. Um, These are not things that we do to earn salvation. These are not things that we do to try and impress God or make Him like us or love us more. But these are things that, these are tools and gifts that we have been given so that we, as we pursue God, as we get to know Him greater, we can pursue Him through these different things, through engaging in Scripture, through prayer, through meditation, uh, through worship. Um, both individually and corporate worship, through communion, like we talked about last week. Uh, And this morning, we are going to focus on one of the oft-neglected and probably more misunderstood spiritual disciplines, um, and that is the the role of fasting. Um, This one might make us a little uncomfortable, and we get a little uncomfortable for a couple of different reasons, mostly because we live in a world and at a time that says, don't ever be uncomfortable. If you're ever uncomfortable, fix it. If you have a headache... Take some Tylenol immediately. If you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If your lips are chapped, use lip balm. Immediately take care of those things. Don't ever be uncomfortable. And so what has happened is that in today's society, we're much more likely to give money than to give up food. Um, And so what I want to help us do this morning is to remove some of the stigma of fasting and show you uh, what we're going to do is look at a, a brief overview of fasting throughout Scripture and then look primarily at what Jesus had to say about fasting. Because if you are a Christian, you want to follow as Christ leads. And so even when that means he's leading us into places that make us uncomfortable or challenge us, um, we're going to follow Christ into those places. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in and talk about fasting. So please, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, bringing us together, gathering us together uh, in your house to celebrate you, to worship you. And Lord, we thank, uh, we thank you today uh, on this Mother's Day for the moms in our lives, for um, those who gave birth to us, those who adopted us, those uh, who just chose to love us as a mom loves her uh, child. Um, Lord, we also realize uh, that today can be 
uh, hard for a lot of people. And so, um, but God, we know you are good. We know you are for us. We know you are a compassionate God. We know that you are a caring, loving, gentle God. Uh, and so, God, I ask that for those people who today um, brings a lot of hurt, today brings a lot of negativity, God, I pray that you show up in those lives to support and encourage um, to wrap, around, wrap up those people um, in your grace, in your mercy, uh, and in your protection. Um, Lord, as we talk about fasting this morning, God, I pray um, that we are uh, enlightened, that we are challenged by the words you have for us. And as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So what is fasting? Uh, Donald Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, uh, says a very basic definition is that fasting is abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. That's basically biblical fasting. Abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Martin Lloyd-Jones takes that a little bit farther, um, and he says, to make the matter complete, we would add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink, but that fasting should really be included Uh, be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Um, And then Richard Foster in his Celebration of Discipline uh, says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So mostly today what I want to do is focus on the biblical concept of fasting, that is fasting from food. Um, though many of the principles and the heart behind fasting can apply to fasting from other things, as Martin Wayne jones says, and we will talk about those at the end of our time together, but most of what we're going to talk about today is the idea of fasting from food that we see in Scripture. So I want to give kind of a brief overview of the different types of fasting that we see throughout Scripture. So um, the first one being the, there's just the normal fasting of food, abstaining from all food and only you only consume water. You only take in water. So in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus um, goes into the desert. He's, he's fasting for 40 days, right? Um, and it says that he was hungry after his fast, but it's not mentioned that he was thirsty. So we can probably infer that he drank water. Um, it could have been a supernatural fast, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, but probably he was just not eating, but he was drinking water. And that's kind of the most standard way of fasting is you don't eat any food and you just take in water. Okay? Uh, and then you have a partial fast, which is limiting the diet to abstain from some food, but not all food. So you see in Daniel, um, Daniel in chapter 1 of, uh, of the book of his namesake uh, decides to go on a fast where he's not going to eat anything but vegetables and water. Um, and he does so to, uh, con- to distance himself from the rich foods from the king because he was uh, brought there um, as a slave. And so uh, we see this as a partial fast where you abstain from certain foods. He did eat vegetables um, and drink water. Um, and then you have an absolute fast, which is no food, no water. Okay, we see that in, uh, Paul does that in Acts 9. It says he went three days without food or water. And this was also during the time he was blind. So that's a really long three days for Paul. He was blind and he didn't eat and he didn't drink. That's a rough weekend. Um, but that's the absolute fast. So you don't take in anything at all. And then you have what we call a supernatural fast. Uh, we only see two of these, um, possibly three, in Scripture. Uh, we see it in Deuteronomy 9.9. Moses is speaking, he says, When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Um, So Moses was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. It says he didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. Now, 
some of us know, the body can go, you can go weeks without food. Um, Gandhi, during one of his hunger strikes, went 21 days without eating. And it's possible to go even longer, um, seven or eight weeks. Some doctors say that you could go without food. It's not good, it's not good for you, but it is possible. Um, water, though, as many of you know, you won't last more than a few days. Three, four probably seven at the absolute most. And again, you're going to end up in a hospital if you do that. Your body is mostly water, and so you can't really survive without it. So that's why we call what Moses did a supernatural fast. Um, somehow God sustained him during that time. Now, this is not the normal model, nor should it be the goal that you're trying to work to. Like, if you want to say, okay, I really want to embrace fasting. I want to get to this place where I'm not eating and drinking for 40 days. That's not what we're shooting for here, okay? Because that will put you in a hospital. Um, so that's the supernatural fast. And then you have uh, what's known as a private fast. Uh, this is the most common type of fast, most often. It's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6 that we're going to read here in a few minutes, uh, where you're just doing it for yourself. You're not letting other people in on it. This is just you and God having this time together. And then we have congregational fasting. This is the church, the community doing it together. We see it in Acts 13. You also see it um, in some other places in the New Testament where it talks about they were worshiping and fasting. Um, and then they sent out Paul or Saul and Barnabas. Um, and then you have a national fast where a whole nation is called together. Nehemiah 9, all of the Jews were called to fast together. And actually, um, Abraham Lincoln in March 30th of 1863, wrote a proclamation that on April 30th of 1863, so a month later, uh, he called America to a national day of fasting. Um, he actually did this a couple of times. Uh, and if you know your history, 1863 is literally in the middle of the Civil War. So right in the middle of the Civil War, Lincoln made a proclamation that we as a nation are going to fast together to pursue God during this hard time, um, which I just thought was really interesting. Um, and then... The last one I want to talk about is just the Old Testament regular fasting. There wasn't a whole lot um, of fasting expected except for on the Day of Atonement. On Yom Kippur, one day a year, the day where sins were atoned for, all of the people were to, were to fast. Later on, as more feasts were added, um, there would be four annual fasts that would happen during the year. There would be four different times uh, where the people would fast during certain celebrations. Okay? Uh, so that's kind of a very brief sprint overview of fasting throughout Scripture. So the question I think a lot of us was going to have when we talk about fasting is, do I have to? Is it a command? Is this something that I have to do? And so what I want to do today is look at what does Jesus have to say about fasting? Because again, if we're going to pursue Christ, let's talk about what he actually had to say about fasting. So we jump into Matthew 6, which is happening... Um, He's preaching on the, Sermon on, the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preaching on a lot of different topics. He's preaching on relationships. He's preaching on anger. He's preaching on a lot of different things. And in Matthew 6, right at the beginning, in, chapter, uh, in verse 1 of Matthew 6, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he's talking about, okay, living out your faith. When you do this, don't do this for the uh, approval of others, for the praise of others. Do this for you and God. And then he says uh, in verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And then again in verse 3 it says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then you skip down to verse 5. And Jesus, in talking about prayer, says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. 
And then you skip down to verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Continuing in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And so we see in verses uh, 1 and 2 and 5 through 7, we see Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, it's when you give. Right? It's not a, if you give, give this way. It's when you give. It was an expectation that you as a follower of Christ were going to be generous, that you were going to be a person who gives. In the same way, it's when you pray. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it's you are praying. It was this expectation that you already were a person who was praying regularly. And then we skip down to verse 16 and 17 where he's talking about fasting. And he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they're... They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, we see when you fast. So it's when you give, it's an expectation you're going to give. And it's when you pray, it's an expectation you're going to pray. And it's when you fast. So Jesus is here saying, I expect that you're going to be a people who are fasting. This was not necessarily couched in a command, but it's an expectation that Christ says, if you're a follower of me, you're fasting regularly. Christians give, right? Christians pray. Christians fast. It's expected that this is part of the way the followers of Jesus lived. And so if we take Jesus' teaching on prayer and giving seriously in this passage, we ought to do the same thing with fasting. It should be part of what Christians do regularly. I want you to flip over a couple of pages, go to chapter 9 of Matthew, because Jesus continues to talk about fasting, and it's a little bit clearer here. This is where we're going to spend a, a good bulk of our time this morning. So Matthew 9, you're going to skip down to verse 14. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So the disciples of John and the Pharisees They fast regularly, and some of the disciples, followers of John the Baptist come, and they say, look, we fast regularly, and they both did it for different reasons, right? John's ministry was all about pointing people to Christ, and it was about repenting, for the kingdom of God is here. Um, But the Pharisees, they took fasting to this whole other level. The Pharisees, over time, had taken fasting and made it this thing, made it this expectation that you were to fast multiple times. Like we said, it was three or four times a year. The Pharisees said, no, you've got to do this every week. And if you want to be really holy, you've got to do it multiple times a week. They would brag about it. They would make a big deal. As you read in chapter 6, Jesus is saying the hypocrites, they make this big show of it. The Pharisees would say, I'm more holy than you because I fast more often than you do. And so the followers of John asked Jesus, why don't you and your followers fast? Why aren't you doing this thing that is good and normal and, and it's a good pursuit? It's part of our history, right? As we said, it's all over the Old Testament. Fasting is good. So he says, Jesus, why don't you and your followers do this? And so Jesus responds with a question in verse 17. Why would you mourn when the bridegroom is present? Why would you be sad during a wedding celebration? 
Why wouldn't you be celebrating? Why wouldn't you be enjoying that time? Jesus is the bridegroom. We, the church, his bride. We talked about that last week. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is not a time for mourning. This is not a time of stress. This is a time of celebration and joy. Emmanuel, God with us. God has entered into humanity. Fasting is to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. But what is more spiritual than being face-to-face with God Himself? Fasting wasn't needed at that time because you couldn't get more intimate than being right there with Jesus at that moment. You don't have to... What He's saying is, look, you don't have to do this right now. You don't need extra stuff to be present with God, to be present with me because I'm here now. Things have changed because God entered into humanity. That's what he means when he's talking about putting on patches and wineskins. He says, things are different now. I have come. Things are different. That's what he means. Wineskins were made of animal pelts. Okay? Um, and they did that because they had this elasticity, elasticity to them. Um, so what you would do was you would take the wine that hadn't been wine yet, hadn't been fermented yet, and you would pour it into uh, an animal skin that was all sewn up. And as the wine fermented, as it became alcohol... Um, pressure would build. And so they would use these animal skins because they had elasticity to them and so they could expand as the wine built up pressure as it turned into alcohol. And they would accommodate the process happening. But what would happen if you put new wine into an already stretched out wine skin, it's like taking an old rubber band that's already stretched out and putting it and pulling it to its farthest elasticity point, it's going to snap. The pressure would build up and would burst the skin and now your skin and your wine would all be on the floor ruined. So look at verse 15 again. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Richard Foster says that sentence is the most important sentence in Scripture about fasting for us today. It says, One day the bridegroom will be taken away, and then my followers will fast. A day will come when the bridegroom is gone and they will fast. Jesus here is looking to the future, toward his purpose to come and die, to rise again, to ascend back into heaven. And when he is gone, he says, that will be a time of fasting. When I'm gone, that's when fasting is needed. But that fasting that's going to happen, that fasting will be new. It's going to be different. It will be new wine for a new wineskin. Because in the Old Testament, they fasted mainly because out of this longing for the Messiah to come. It was for spiritual purposes of longing for, praying, connecting with God, and and lifting up prayers for the Messiah to come, for that day to come when everything would be restored back to how it was supposed to be, that the Israelites would have a place, would be restored as a people. But now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has gone to war with Satan and sin, he has died on the cross, he's risen again, he's in heaven, we fast for different reasons. The time is now, the bridegroom is gone, and so we fast, but that fasting looks different. And so we talked about what it is, and the Bible clearly shows that fasting is part of what God's people did. Jesus himself says it's this expectation, his followers are going to fast. But you see, fasting with no purpose in it, that's just crash dieting. John Piper wrote a book, uh, Hunger for God. It's about fasting and idolatry. It's a really good resource. Uh, he says, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. We ache and we yearn and we fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus. 
but only because he has already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward into the fullness of God. Jesus said we need new wine and new wineskins for the fasting that would be done now that he is gone. And that's what I think John Piper is getting at with this quote about a hunger of a homesickness and this yearning and aching to know God more because we've already known him some. Because if you're a Christian, you, as the psalmist says, have already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know that because you have experienced salvation. Because you know that your default wiring, your out-of-the-box formation is to rebel against God. You have sins against Him. You have chosen at times to pursue things that don't glorify God. Or you have chosen not to do the things that glorify God when you had the opportunity. That's sin. Anything that is contrary to God's character. And that sin separates us from God. And left to our own devices, that's how we would stay forever. Separated from God, condemned to the eternal punishment of hell, removed from the holiness of God. But, because God is who he said he is, because he is good, because he is holy and just and righteous, he sent Jesus to die on the earth, to die on the cross for us in our place. Emmanuel, God with us, the bridegroom arrived. He came to earth to die for us, to become the sacrifice we needed, the replacement we needed for our sins. Jesus took on every sin at the cross, all sin, my sin, your sin, every sin ever committed, every sin that will ever be committed. He endured the wrath of God. It was completely and totally poured out on Christ on the cross. And because God is just, he will not give a second punishment. Those sins were paid for. Those sins were taken care of. He will not punish a second time for those sins. Jesus took it all so that we don't have to. So that for anyone who would put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they have new life. They have a new relationship with God, with a new standing with God, a new identity, not as a rebel, an enemy of God, but as a son or daughter of God. And so if that's you, if you have experienced that, if you have tasted the grace, the mercy, the hope, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, then I'm sure you want more. Right? Fasting is like when somebody's cooking for a party at the house and the smell of what they're cooking brings you into the kitchen. And they invite you to taste it and they put the the wooden spoon into the pot and they invite you to taste something that they're cooking. And it's delicious. And now you want more and more of it. You're so excited for that meal because you have tasted that it's good and you want more of it. That's why we fast. Because we know God is good. We know He is awesome. And so in fasting, there is this desire in us to see His kingdom come. To see His will be done. Fasting comes from this ache in our hearts, in the heart of every Christian who knows that this is not our home. That we long for the day where we are reunited with Christ. Fasting is the exclamation point on our pleas to God. It is a way for us to remove distractions and offer up our prayers to God. And so whether it is from food, or it's from television, or social media, or sports, or whatever it is that you are fasting from, you are letting go of these things to take up more of God. We talked about that during the season of Lent. Fasting is about putting something down so that you can take up more of God. Fasting is feasting on God. Fasting is feasting on God. Our purpose in fasting is not to impress Him or to try and impress other people. It's about removing something, clearing away the brush as you make your way through the forest of life so that you can see God clearer. We put down, we let go of something so that we can take up more of God in its place. 
Fasting is using our physical body to help us train our spirit. In fasting, the basic premise, right, is you're going without food and your body is going to signal over time, hey, it's time to eat. Right? There's going to be that gurgling in your stomach and it's, hey, it's cheeseburger 30. What's the deal? And it's in those moments when you have those hunger pains that you channel that into your prayer life. I want to know God more. This is a reminder. I want to spend today, I want to pursue God. I want to know Him more. Fasting and prayer are vital to one another. They are linked together. Fasting leads us to prayer. And sometimes our prayers are just, God, help me to continue and stay strong during this fast because I want to know you deeper. I want to, I want to be connected to you. And so when you feel tempted, when you feel led to eat during a fast, you can't be content to let your mind just dwell on the fact that you are hungry. Oh man, I'm so hungry right now. This is so hard. Because if that's all you do, if you just spend the day not eating and thinking about how hungry you are, you're going to get to the end of the day and say, hey, I made it through, I fasted. If you rely just on your iron will, that's not, that's all, all that's saying is that you were able to say no to your stomach, but that doesn't turn you toward God. It says more about your love of other things than your love for God, because Christian fasting turns us towards Christ. But fasting can also help reveal things about ourselves. I'm sure many of you have seen or heard of the Snickers commercial, right? There's two friends. One of them's acting kind of like a jerk, kind of angry, kind of mean, and the other one says, hey, eat a Snickers. Why? Well, you're kind of grumpy, right? The tagline is, you're not yourself when you're hungry, so eat a Snickers. I think that's a lie. I think hunger reveals some of our heart. The lack of substance in our belly can reveal the substance of our hearts. Are you less patient? Are you angrier? Are you sadder when you're hungry? Why? It's not just about food. What's the actual, what's that tied to? Because it's not just about you being hungry. So fasting can be this positive expression of pursuing God and and delighting in Him, but it can also be something that shines a light on the dark spots of our soul that need to be addressed. I said earlier, fasting without a purpose is just crash dieting. The ultimate goal of our fasting, just as with all the spiritual disciplines, is to know God deeper, to be more in line with Him, to be more connected to His will. But within that purpose, you have different reasons to fast that ultimately lead you to the end goal of knowing God more. It can be to seek God's guidance in a situation. Whether you're dealing with maybe to take a new job or to leave your job or to pursue a relationship, you can fast to seek God's guidance in that situation. To express grief. To express the repentance of sin. To seek God's deliverance. To express concern. To minister through prayer on behalf of others. If you spent a day fasting and every time you had those hunger pains, every time you got that little bit of a headache and you turned those prayers toward that family member, that friend who doesn't know Jesus, you are spending a day going to war for that person. Lifting them up in prayer, that's a powerful thing you can do for another human being. Fasting could also just be a reason to worship God, to spend that day focused on Him. It's the chance to sit at the table and feast on the presence of God. And so we do this because we know He is good. We know that the bridegroom came, but we long for Him to come again. Because we know God is good and He is for us and He's not against us. And so we long for that day when Christ will return. We long for that day when fasting won't be necessary, when fasting won't be required or expected because we're taking part in the wedding feast. Because the bridegroom has once again returned. 
And there will be a celebration of joy at the presence of Him who is righteous and just. And so we long for that day when Chicago is not the most violent city in the world. We long for that day when racism and bigotry and hate is no longer part of the conversation. We long for that day when sexual immorality and pornography addiction is no longer part of the conversation. We long for the day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When death shall be no more, where there shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things will have passed away. When the dwelling place of God is with man. When he will dwell with us and we will be his people and God himself will be with us. That's why we fast, because there is this ache in our hearts to say, God, come, come quickly. We fast out of a knowledge that God is for us and out of an ache that says, Lord, come. I want to know more of you. I will hunger and I thirst for you. I want to know you deeper. I want to experience more of you now. I want to be more in line with you now. That feeling, that celebration, that time of joy that we will experience when the bridegroom returns, I want to taste that now. Jesus never gave an explicit thou shalt fast. But if fasting truly is feasting on God, if it truly is this opportunity for us to connect closer to him, well then, why wouldn't you? And so that leads me to my last point. And as if you've been here for this series um, so far, you know, we, we're trying to get real practical with what we're doing here. We did a Bible study together. We spent time in prayer together. And so what I want to do is I, I want to encourage us as a church I want to encourage us this Thursday to participate in a fast. That as a community together, from sunup to sundown on Thursday, we fast together. That we want to seek God together. And for each of us individually, you may have different motivators for your fast. Maybe you want to have a day just dedicated to worshiping God, that things are hard and, and, and chaotic, and you just want to have a day where you're more in line, more focused on Him. Or maybe you want to Spend that day praying and lifting up family and friends who don't know God. Whatever your thing is, each of us have different things going on in our lives. But we as a people are united to the gospel. United in the gospel. United as a people following Jesus in worship, community, and mission. That's what we're doing here at CF. So I want us to do this together on Thursday from sunup to sundown. So I want to leave us with some practical tips, advice, points on how we can do this. Okay, so number one is plan what level of fast you want to do. Maybe you just avoid all food, you just drink water, or maybe you do the full food and drinking water. If you've never fasted before, I encourage you, start slow, okay? Maybe you just do juice during the day. That's totally appropriate. Or you do like an herbal tea. Um, you can do water, you put a little lemon or lime in there, that'll work too. Um, maybe you just start with a Daniel fast. You remove proteins and you just do vegetables and just do fruit. Whatever you do, regardless of how you want to pursue it, drink a lot of water. That's my advice to you. Drink a lot of water. Keep yourself hydrated. Now, I realize in asking for us to pursue a fast, there are a lot of reasons people can't fast from food. A lot of them being, you know, prescriptions, medical conditions, all of those things. Do not, do not hear me say, I want you to forego all of that and fast. Do not ignore doctor's orders, right? Do not do something that is going to physically harm you, all right? If you physically cannot fast, then choose something to give up. Maybe it's caffeine. Maybe it's your phone maybe or TV or music. Think about the things you want to put down for the day so that you can take up more of God. Now, our natural inclination can be to do something, to give up something that's kind of easy, right? Well, I just won't eat candy for the day. Okay, cool. If you do something that doesn't have a bit of a challenge, 
something that you won't need to trust God in, you're going to miss out on the whole point of what we're doing here. Because again, this isn't for you. I'm not checking up on you. I mean, this isn't for like you to promote. This isn't for you to, to make a big deal of. Nobody's going to ask. Nobody's going to check up on you. This is about you and your relationship with God. This is about you putting something down that can be good in itself, but can also be a distraction. Setting that aside for a day to pursue God. So again, if you can't physically fast from food, find something that you can give up for the day. But if you are going to fast from uh, food, if you are a coffee drinker, uh, let me encourage you, maybe start cutting back, even starting today. Start weaning yourself off so that caffeine headache isn't so bad. Um, maybe switch to green tea for a couple days. But So if you're heavy on caffeine and you're going to try and do this with food, as a fellow coffee drinker who's already two cups in on the day, start weaning yourself off to get ready for Thursday. Okay. Make a plan. What are you going to actually do instead of eating? When that hunger pain dings in your stomach and your brain, what's the reaction going to be? Are you going to pray? Right? We talked. We had a whole couple of days on prayer and meditation, praying Scripture, spending those times giving, praying back God's words to Him. Are you going to just spend those times when you have those hunger pains? I'm going to read my Bible. Are you going to sing worship? What, what is it that's going to help you? What, it, what will help this? Um, think about what is the object of, that you're fasting for. Right? We said it could be for guidance. It could be for somebody else. It could be for repentance of sin. Whatever that thing is, keep that in mind. What's the thing that you're gonna, that's going to help you lift up and focus on that? So it might be prayer. It might be scripture. It might be a combination of those things. But have a plan. Don't just say, I'm not going to eat and we'll see what happens. Because you're just going to just sit and try and iron will and get through it on your own. Have a plan. Okay. Lastly, when you break your fast, again, from experience, don't do it with greasy food. I had a season where I was fasting one day a week. I was fasting on behalf of uh, family and friends, and um, I, the first time I did it, uh, I, I got, to, got to midnight, and I got a, a giant greasy pizza. And that just didn't end well. It wasn't a good idea. Okay. Try to be relatively healthy when you break your fast. Um, and also, since we're doing this together as a community, since this is something we're trying to do as a group, I'd encourage you to try and break your fast with other people. Get together with other people, maybe, and have a meal together. Get together and break that fast together. Share about what you learned. Share about the why, the how. How'd your day go? What did God say to you? How did you, how'd you spend that day? Spend that day, spend that time celebrating, rejoicing. Share a meal together and enjoy and share what God has done. I think this is going to be a day that, is, that God's going to move. Because if we go into it expecting Him to show up, He will show up. Right? He says over and over, if you come looking for me, I will show up. Fasting is an opportunity for us to say, God, we're coming. God, we're looking for you. God, we expect you to show up. He will. And I'm excited to hear how God moves in our midst as we pursue Him together, as we feast on God through fasting together. So this Thursday, sun up to sundown. I'm going to put all these resources, a bunch of things on our website, as I've been doing, um, to help you with all of this. And, you know, if you have any questions, you can always email me, pastortimcf at gmail.com. Um, I'm excited to pursue this together with you guys. So let's pray and continue in our service.